Our reading today comes from 1 John 2, verses 1 through 17. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning, the old commandment in the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in, and in him there is no cause for stumbling, stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Becca. Pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are present with us this morning by your Spirit. We thank you that your promises are true, and they are true because you have brought them to be for us in the person and work of Jesus. And so we ask you now, Jesus, to be for us what we need you to be. We need your grace. We need your love. And many of us in this room need the assurance that we are in your love. And so would you pour out your grace and that confidence and abundance to us? For your sake, not for our own, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. I'm John. I'm the new pastor here at Grace and Peace. And so if you're new and visiting this morning, I'm new, but not visiting this morning. And we're going to work it out together. 
one of the things that you should know about me is that I'm not the singer in our family. My wife Kathy has a lovely singing voice, uh, and you'll get to know that as we go along. I don't have a lovely singing voice, and so I'm going to ask your forgiveness in advance because um, I can't do this introduction without trying to carry a tune a little bit. One of my indelible memories from my childhood is my Uncle Vince singing the Children's Assurance March. I don't know uh, if you are familiar with this song, but uh, think Hagrid, but a little bit more human. That's my Uncle Vince, big, round, burly, bearded giant of a man, but he loved children, and he loved to sing this song. Do you know it? Can we know that Jesus loves us? Can we know that Jesus saves us? Can we be assured each moment, everywhere we, everywhere we go? And on the song goes. It starts out slow and low-key, and it builds to a crescendo. And so by the end of the song, he's stomping around the stage, almost screaming, we can know that Jesus loves us. We can know that Jesus loves us. We can be assured each moment, everywhere we... He's just screaming at all of us kids. He had a passion for assurance. He knew what he had in his relationship with his Savior, Jesus. He knew it. He knew that it was his, and he wanted everybody who he knew to have that same assurance, that same confidence in their relationship with the God who had made them in love and redeemed them in grace and is carrying them forward to their glorious future. He was echoing John, the author of this letter that we're studying this summer together. We're almost positive through the tradition of the early Christians who followed that John who wrote this letter is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, the same John who is one of the closest followers of Jesus. And John, we think, is writing to his congregation, his little church in Ephesus, uh, what is modern-day Turkey. And John is at the end of his ministry, and he wants this congregation to know what the rhythms of following Jesus are that should be there in the beginning and all the way to the end, regardless of the circumstances of life. And so last week, uh, we were invited into uh, knowing that a rhythm of following Jesus is the rhythm of believing in Jesus. And that believing takes on the form of a relationship. It's not just bare intellectual knowledge. It's believing in somebody in a knowing way, in a relational way. And so John invites us into a relationship with God in the person of Jesus. It's a fellowship, he says, in the beginning of this little letter. And remember we talked about John writing either as a senile old man or as a poet. And we voted for poet, that John knows what he's doing. And so he weaves these themes in and out of this entire letter, these themes of believing in Jesus, and this morning we'll see this theme of assurance. He doesn't just want to tell you that life with God is possible through faith in Jesus. He wants you to know that that life with God is yours, and he thinks that there's a difference. Not only can you have a life with God, you can know that you have that life, and so live in the joy 
of that confidence. It begs the question, is assurance a thing? Like, does it matter if we know as long as we have the reality? John says, absolutely, it matters if you know. It matters to have that confidence. This morning, uh, we can think of it in in these three ways, at least. First, uh, we'll see that there's a beauty of assurance that we're invited to experience, a beauty of assurance. Uh, Second, we'll see that there is a foundation of assurance, a source of assurance. And then thirdly, there's a practice of assurance that we can engage in together. The beauty of assurance, a source of assurance, and then the practice of assurance together. The beauty of assurance, John certainly thinks that it makes a difference to know. Uh, He says all throughout this little letter, in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, we know that we have passed from death to life. It's not just that we have passed from death to life. We know that we've passed from death to life. He says in chapter 3, verse 19, by this we will know that we are of the truth and we can reassure our hearts before God. It's not enough just that we are of the truth. We can actually know, have confidence that we are of the truth. It's our love, he says, that will give us that confidence In chapter 3, verse 24, he says, By this we know that he, the Spirit, abides in us. Excuse me, we know that Jesus abides in us because of his Spirit. And then perhaps the crescendo in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. And so if we come back to our passage this morning, we see that John is full of this theme of assurance. He says in verse 3 that we have come to know Him. We are in Him and we abide in Him. Friends, what an amazing truth that when we place our faith in Jesus, He is in us, we are in Him and we abide in Him, but that's not enough for John. He says, we know that we've come to know Him. He says in verse 5 that we can be sure that we are in him. He's convinced that assurance is a beautiful thing, that it matters. And friends, what a beautiful picture of the God of the scriptures is found in this call to assurance. That God doesn't just want your bare obedience. He doesn't just want you to be his follower because that's the way the universe should work. He wants you to know it. He wants you to take joy in being his follower. As one pastor has put it, he wants you, he wants me to live not out of the poverty of what we don't have, but out of the riches of what we do have. A relationship with a God who made us, has redeemed us, and is restoring us and will one day see us and embrace us face to face. Friends, assurance is indeed a beautiful thing. Thomas Brooks is one of those uh, reputedly dour Puritans, uh, and he puts it this way. There's a quote printed for you on the first page of your worship folder, if you'd like to turn there. Thomas Brooks says that, Though assurance be a precious flower in the garden of a saint... 
that is a follower of Jesus, and is more infinitely sweet and delightful to the soul than all outward comforts. Infinitely sweet and delightful to the soul. Yet it is but a flower that is subject to fade and to lose its freshness and its beauty as saints by sad experience find. And I would add, from time to time. What is Thomas Brooks saying? Well, he's saying, for one, that assurance is something that can be had and it's something that, for a time, can be lost. And some of you can relate to him through your own experience. That There are times that you feel very close to Jesus. There are times that you feel very far away. There are times that you know without a shadow of a doubt. You could stand on stage and you could stomp around with my Uncle Vince and you could sing the Children's Assurance March with him. And there are times that you would be sitting in the back of the auditorium wondering, is that really true? Is that really true of me? There's all sorts of reasons why uh, assurance can be fleeting. The Bible names them all some kind of sin, right? It might be the effect of sin in this world and circumstances that come into your life from the outside, circumstances of tragedy or challenge uh, that make you question whether you know that you are God's and He is yours. It may be the sin that's in your own heart that's gunking up the works of your relationship with God that makes that experience of assurance uh, hard to hold on to at any given moment. Thomas Brooks recognizes that You can recognize that, but he draws us back to the glory of assurance as a precious flower, infinitely sweet and delightful to the soul. Yes, it can can fade, but it can be had, and you should want to have it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Two thoughts that come to mind in thinking about the beauty of assurance. First, when you know what you have in Jesus, there is joy. There's joy in that relationship. And when you're not certain, the joy fades. And what is replaced, at least in my experience, is anxiety. When you don't know, when you're not certain, anxiety creeps in. Uh, A few months back, I got an email from a colleague, and it said, hey, can we talk? Do you ever get one of those emails? And my mind immediately starts casting back, what have I done? What have I done? What's wrong? Where have I gone south? And all of a sudden, I'm flooded with anxiety, right? I don't even know for sure that anything is wrong, but my mind goes there, and I'm wondering, is this relationship okay, or is it not okay? And I don't know. And because I don't know, because I'm uncertain, then I'm anxious. And my day is miserable. Have you had that experience? When you don't have certainty in a relationship, anxiety creeps in and it pushes the joy away. You can think about this. We have pictures of this all throughout the Bible. In the very first pages, think of Genesis 3. Do you remember there's the story that Adam and Eve, our first parents, have sinned against God. They've rebelled against His goodness, and they recognize it. And God comes to the garden to walk with them in the cool of the evening. What a glorious picture. What a moment Adam and Eve must have had, that in the evening, in the beauty of the day, God would come to them 
and they would enjoy one another's company, and God would impart his wisdom, and maybe he would give them their marching orders for the next day of how they could enter into his good purposes for this beautiful world that he's created. And there's this fellowship, but what happens in Genesis 3? God comes, and he walks in the cool of garden, and where are Adam and Eve? They're hiding. They're hiding. The joy is gone. Anxiety is, re- is replaced, and so they hide. Why? Because they're not sure anymore of their relationship with him. Because they've broken trust. Friends, when you know that you're good with the God who made you and has redeemed you and is restoring you to your fullest glory, when you know that, joy comes. When you don't, anxiety Friends, assurance is a beautiful thing. Not only does joy come with assurance, but confidence in mission comes with assurance. Right? John goes on in this chapter to talk about the greatest command. It's not a new command, but it is a new command. And the command is simply this, to love. Jesus told the religious leader who came and asked what the heartbeat of life for God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he gives this commandment to his disciples. And friends, one of the primary reasons that I'm here as the new pastor at Grace and Peace is because you are a community that loves to get after the mission that Jesus has for you here in Austin. You are a gospel-formed family. You're taking in the love of God together so that you can go live it out for the sake of your friends and neighbors here in Austin. You love doing that. It's a beautiful thing. You recognize that God didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. To join in his purposes of love. To get after his mission together. And friends, if you don't know that you have his love, what happens to your mission? It starts to languish, right? You end up on the sidelines. My family had the opportunity to vacation uh, at Yosemite National Park uh, not too long ago. And so we were in the valley, and if you ever have a chance to go, go. Uh, It's one of those places where pictures really don't, can't do it justice. And you're in the valley, and you're looking up at these majestic cliffs all around you, and your response is just one of wonder and awe. And then if you know that there is a movie that's out there, right, by the name of, what's the movie called? Free Solo, right? Lost my place in my notes. Free Solo. Then you're looking up at El Capitan and you're just completely dumbfounded, right? Because the movie Free Solo is about Alex Honnold and he's the only one who has climbed El Capitan on his own without ropes, which is just astounding. And if you've seen the documentary, uh, you know that it is an incredible feat of accomplishment, and it has been his life's mission. If you've seen the documentary, you also know that he goes out one morning to make the climb. He's geared up, he's done his training, he goes out to do it, and then he turns around and goes home. Like, what gives? He didn't have confidence He didn't know that his body was ready 
that his mind was ready, that his heart was ready. And because he didn't have the confidence, he couldn't go after the mission. Friends, assurance is a beautiful thing for a follower of Jesus, for a congregation that is seeking to follow Jesus together. Because when you know that that love is yours, then you can go out and love in return. When you know that his love is yours, your life is characterized by joy and not anxiety. Friends, the beauty of assurance is something that Jesus is inviting you into this morning through these words, which begs the question, if assurance is such a wonderful thing, what is the source of assurance? Where does it come from? If it can come and go, where does it come? Where is its source? John has an answer, of course. We shouldn't be surprised. He says in verse 3, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Does that surprise you? John says, By this we can know that we have come to know him, keep his commands. He says that the source of assurance is our own obedience. I have to admit it struck me as a little bit surprising. I would have, I think, if I were this John, not this John, I think I would have said, if you want to know, to be sure of God's love for you, then tap into his spirit, which he's given you. And his spirit will reassure your heart. And you know what? He actually does say that. He goes on to say that in chapter 3. Or I might say, if you want to be assured of God's love for you, then look to his promises which can never fail and have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus for you. Look to the gospel and find yourself assured. And you know what? He does go on to say that. He says that in chapter 5. But he doesn't say that here. He doesn't start uh, one of our great confessions Uh, paints the picture of assurance as a three-legged stool. And it says that one of the legs is our adoption, that we've been adopted into God's family and we have his spirit. That would make sense to me. One of the legs of the stool is our justification. God has made promises and kept them for us in ways that we couldn't keep ourselves in our justification. You know what the third stool is? Sanctification. Our following after Jesus and more and more conforming to his image. That's one of the sources of our assurance. I think maybe John starts with sanctification, with our obedience to God's commands, because it's the one that we have the most trouble with, finding our assurance in our own obedience. I don't know about you, but for me, it's counterintuitive because... Our culture has trained us to think about obedience as a fundamentally negative activity. Is that not true for you? When you hear the word obedience or when you hear the word authority, no offense officers if you're listening out there, do you think positively or do you think negatively? We've been, we've been trained by our culture to think of obedience as things that I have to do so that I can get what I want if I toe the line, right? Right? Commands are regulations that at best are necessary evils or at worst there's something that some authoritarian figure has given me to do to squeeze the joy out of my life. Maybe an overstatement, but we tend to think of 
obedience negatively. And so how can something negative be the source of something so positive, an assurance of God's love for me? And maybe John is inviting us to reframe our understanding of obedience, not as something that we have to do, not as obeying some arbitrary and capricious rule that's meant to steal our joy, but rather obedience as living in sync with God's purposes for you and his good world. Obedience as going with the grain of the wood of God's plan. If God made you and he made his world and he wants you to flourish, surely he ought to know how that should work. He does. And so he's given us his commands so that we can enjoy that life with him. Uh, Think of obedience to God's commands like learning to ride a bicycle. Kids, uh, how many of you learned how to ride the bicycle in the last five years? Anybody? How about the last 10 years? Okay, do you remember how you learned how to ride a bicycle? It probably involved a parent or somebody bigger than you telling you what to do, right? Do you remember that? And do you remember it might have been really frustrating Your dad barking at you a little bit, no, 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 balance. No, 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 turn left. No, 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 turn right. No, 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 go straight. No, pedal that way. No, pedal, right? And it feels like all these commands that are going at you, coming at you, boom, 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 boom. What were those commands all for? To help you ride a bike. Do you remember that moment when you got it? When all of a sudden you're riding the bike? Amazing, right? Just Amazing. Friends, that's the commands of God. They're given to you so that you can ride the bicycle, so that your life can flourish. And so as we begin to reframe our understanding of obedience, it frees us up to see obedience as one of the sources of assurance. Here's the other reason that I so often fail to see my own obedience as a grounds of assurance. It's because I slide into the trap of thinking that my obedience is the ground not of my assurance, but of my salvation itself. I slide into the trap of thinking that obedience, my obedience is the ground not of my assurance, but of my salvation. Can you resonate with this? You know in your head that the gospel is about what God has done for you that you can't do for yourself. But the way you live your life doesn't bear that out. You get into the middle of a day and your actions betray your heart. And what your actions are saying is, God, look at me. I'm good with you. You can be proud of me because of what I'm doing for you. Look at what I'm accomplishing as a pastor at a new church. Look at what I'm accomplishing in my mission with my fellow grace and peacers. Look at how we love the city. Look at how we're coming together as a family. Look at how we've survived for so long and not even survived, but even thrived without a pastor. And it's subtle, but you believe the whispers. You're good with God because of what you do. And friends, that is not the gospel. And it is diabolical because not only does it rob you of the beauty of the gospel, it robs you of your assurance. 
because you know deep down your obedience, your behavior cannot be load-bearing for your relationship with God. You cannot do enough, and you can never know if you're doing enough. And so if you're treating your obedience as the grounds of your salvation, then what happens? You're either arrogant and prideful if you think you're doing well, or you're filled with despair if you're not. And neither is the joy of assurance that God desires for you. You see how tricky that is. Friends, the gospel is that Jesus has done everything that needed to be done for you to be right with God. John says it right here in the beginning of this letter. My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Not John Sweet, the righteous as he follows Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the righteous for John Sweet. He, Jesus, is the propitiation, the one who covers our sins and the one who bears the wrath that is deserved. God himself takes it on in the person of Jesus. Friends, that is the gospel. And when you get the gospel, that your obedience isn't load-bearing for your salvation, well, then it frees you up to see your obedience in a whole new way. And what is that way? How can our obedience function for us as assurance? Well, you could think of it in a number of different ways. Uh, One is this. One of the promises that God makes that he cannot fail to keep, one of the promises that God makes that he cannot fail to keep is that he's going to remake you in the image of his son, Jesus. That's his promise. That's his guarantee. That is what is happening in your salvation. And so if that's true, can you look to your life and see evidences that God is at work doing what he promised to do? Right? Your obedience isn't the ground of your salvation, but it might just be evidence that your salvation is at work in your life. John says that the great command is to love. And he knows and you know that you can't love until you first receive God's love. And so if you are obeying in love, it's evidence, it's proof to your soul that you've received his love. Because how could you love like him if you hadn't received his love first? Friends, your obedience can begin to function in a beautiful way as an evidence to your soul that God loves you and that you are in him. Kids, one more time, you can help us out here. How many of you have family rules in your household? Some kind of family rules, whether they're written down or not written down, but there's a way that you do it in your family, right? We treat other people with respect, with kindness. We obey our parents because God has given them to us as good people in our lives. Whatever it is, whatever the rules of your house are, you have them right? And kids, you know this. When you're following those rules, your heart knows that you're okay and that you're good and that you're part of this family. And when you're not, your heart doesn't tell you that you're okay and that you're good because you're not living the way a family member ought to live. Now, you know 
Your parents don't love you because you obey. You know they love you anyway. And yet when you're breaking all the rules, your heart is telling you something's wrong, something's wrong. This isn't great, right? Friends, that's how our obedience works. God has given us obedience as a gift for joy and for mission and for assurance. So let's wrap up. What might obedience that leads to assurance look like for us? How could we practice it together? And the first thing I would say is give yourself a little bit of a test. Check your life and see. Do you have assurance or not? Is your life as a follower of Jesus characterized right now, right now, by anxiety or by joy? Are you engaging joyfully in mission or are you sitting on the sidelines? Maybe that can help direct your heart to answer the question, am I living as if I know? Friends, believe the gospel. After you've answered that question, believe the gospel. Take yourself back again and again to the good news that God has done for you in Jesus what you can't do for yourself. So you make sure that your obedience isn't about salvation. It's about responding in love to the love that Jesus has given you. And then... Let me encourage you, let me challenge you, maybe in your community group, maybe in your family, maybe on your own with God, ask yourself, is there one area of my life I just know I haven't been giving myself to him? Give that to him and then see what he does for you when it comes to your assurance. Uh, My Uncle Vince Uh, no longer stomped around a stage singing the Children's Assurance March because uh, a number of years ago he had a ski accident and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And he lived 15 years as a quadriplegic. Uh, And eventually he uh, died from complications. And he knew it was coming and so the family got together and he sang the song again. He didn't have a big booming voice anymore, but he sang the song, and you could see the conviction in his eyes. Can we know that Jesus loves us? We can know. It's a gift from Jesus to you. Why don't you take it? Let's take it together. Would you pray with me? God of all grace, We thank you for your grace, for your kindness, for giving to us, for gifting us salvation, a salvation that we could never earn or deserve. You gave it to us and you earned it for us, Jesus, and we are grateful and we say thank you. And yet, because you're such a God of grace and love, that wasn't enough for you. You desired for us to have more. You desired for us to know and to have confidence in that salvation. And so we thank you for that gift. Father, some of us in here don't feel like we're close to you. We don't have that assurance of our faith, and we ask for it. We ask for it because your spirit is in us. We ask for it because your promises are true. And we ask that you would assure our hearts, even this week, as we leave this place, through our own joyful and grateful obedience to you, We'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.